Hello, I'm Helen Daly. Welcome to Build It, Thou Come. He really challenged me, my vision, and said it's much bigger than just gifting. And he said it's about finding different audiences for the same supply partners, experience partners. Many of you probably better know my guest this week as the Red Shark from Channel 10's Shark Tank show. Entrepreneur and marketing expert Naomi Simpson is dubbed the Red Shark not only because the redhead always wears something red as her personal brand, but because she created and founded Red Balloon. Red Balloon website was created around the concept of selling experiences long before that became a buzzword and around the idea of corporate and personal gifting. It started out as a way of connecting smaller business suppliers of these experiences, be they a hot air balloon ride or a whitewater rafting experience, to consumers. But it soon blossomed into a fast-expanding marketplace matching experiences and products with much broader groups of consumers. Naomi had created and built from scratch a unique in-demand business. In part one of our chat, Naomi is candid about how she fought to make Red Balloon work, and she's frank about the many hurdles along the way, including the tricky navigation of her business relationship with her husband. I hope you enjoy part one of my chat with Naomi Simpson. Naomi Simpson, welcome to Build It Thou Come. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, it's my pleasure, Helen. Great to talk to you. Now, you are probably best known as the Red Shark in the TV series Australian Shark Tank, but you are an entrepreneur who began your startup journey in the early 2000s. You founded Red Balloon. What was the original idea behind Red Balloon in the first place? Oh, oh Helen, it's so funny you should say that. 2001 literally feels like last century. It is <laughs> technically <it>? still this <laughs> It's technically still this century, but, you know, I'm coming up to my 20th anniversary since I thought it was a good idea to leave corporate life. I had two small children and I thought if I started a dot-com, I could, you know, play with my kids in the day and work at night. And really I was, I had been a professional marketer and so I'd worked for big companies like Apple and IBM and KPMG and also Ansett. And when I had my kids, I was just, I wanted to keep my career going, but didn't want the constructs. And we're talking 20 years ago when there was mm. no such thing as flexible work. I do laugh actually. I was going, oh my goodness, I started my business at home 20 years ago and look where I am. Yeah. At home. <laughs> Still at <changed>. home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, I was a marketer and I was looking for what needed effectively a brand. So I'd done freelance marketing for a little while and really any business that I was working for, some were mid-sized, some were publicly listed, but a lot of smaller businesses. And really what they want most is customers. And marketing is a long Long term, it's an ongoing, consistent activity of storytelling and emotional engagement. And often my clients would see my marketing plan, which were fabulous, you know, 27 <laughs> action items or more, and, and they'd say, oh, look, we'll do the brochure and we'll do the logo and we'll do this. I said, it's not a shopping list. To build a brand takes a long time. And, you know, at Red Balloon, 20 years on, we're still doing mm, that work. Mm. So 
But what was the idea behind, yeah, the actual sort of business that you thought you could make? So first of all, I thought, is there a way I can flip the agency model? Because I was a freelance marketer and therefore a consultant and a hide gun. And if I wasn't working, then I wasn't earning yeah. and and it was feast or famine. And I know a lot of micro businesses and home-based businesses or consultants and so forth, they feel the same. And so they begin to need some backup of other people like them. And there's some really good marketplaces now for freelancers to be able to have consistent income and be able to dip in and dip out. That wasn't around back in the day. So it was about how do I create a brand for an industry, find customers and deliver them to small business who, who otherwise wouldn't be able to find them. And as it happens, we were, I thought we were late to market, you know, the Benner.com crash and people have heard that story. I thought we were late to yes. market when in fact we were early as a marketplace. We were one of the original marketplaces. So, so sorry, in fact, you thought with the dot-com boom, oh, we've missed it, it's all over, yes. no more digital economy, it's it's kind yeah. of finished, boom, it, and then finished. bust. Yeah, it went bust, the dot-com crash, a tech wreck, and also we'd had September 11, and I launched three weeks after September 11. Um, oh, I gosh. just didn't think anybody was ever going to be interested in anything, and, you know, the $25,000 worth of family savings was well and truly gone. So the idea was about how do I use my marketing to provide customers to an industry? And what I ended up doing was branding a whole industry. And I chose gifts. I chose gifting because a lot of these businesses, like I sat next to this guy, obviously, a while ago, I was up in Queensland, a speaking engagement, and I was sitting next to this guy and he goes, oh, we've been an experienced partner of yours for eight years. And I said, oh, that's amazing. He's, and he said, I'm the world's best paddleboarder. And I said, oh, nice to meet you. And he <laughs> says, and I'm the world's worst marketer. And I go, oh. And he said, you represent 75% of all of our revenue now. Wow. And I go, wow, that's amazing. And that's one of 2,000 stories. And he said, oh, I can't, he can't work out social media. He goes, one day I spend five bucks and the next day I spend 10 and I don't get a customer. And he says, I feel it's just like a slot machine. I've got no idea what I'm doing. And he said, So well, what did you provide for them, do you think? And you're talking mainly small business. They're, they're, we've got some publicly listed, like the skydiving people. We've got some really yep. big ones actually in amongst them, but it's primarily small businesses. And our job has been to take Red Balloon as a story to businesses and corporates. Mm. And so right back in the very beginning, this is actually how we built our brand is I was doing freelance work for Xerox. They said, we've got this new gig. And I said, look, I'm not doing freelance anymore. I've launched this business called Red Balloon. What's that? And I said, it's experiences. And they said, oh, that sounds like it'd be great for a sales incentive. And they said, and I said to them, would you be a case study? And they said, only if it's any good. Yeah. <laughs> okay, better be good then. And they ended up choosing us for the first quarter and then they ran it for six or eight quarters afterwards. But when they went out to their base, they were promoting Red Balloon. And after that came Optus, mm. who chose us for their length of service awards. And every every day when somebody was getting their fifth 
10th, 15th or 20th anniversary, they were getting a red balloon voucher. So it was very visual and they told their 10,000 employees. And the big one came with American Express when American Express members are all about experience. And way back in the day, you know, it was two or three years in, they did a double page spread in their catalogue and it went to a million people. So I've always, my job has always been about connecting businesses to small businesses because the jet boat guy can't go into American Express and say, hey, I've got this great jet boat. Mm, Would you like mm. 5,000 tickets? Yeah. Whereas, you know, I go into a business and actually since COVID I've been, I wanted to stay really, really close to customers. So I've been leading our B2B Whole, it's been fun actually designing people's programs again and, and talking to customers. And actually, you'd be surprised that right now as we come into Christmas, there's no parties, there's no events, there's no activities, but we need to celebrate. And it was good to see the RBA numbers coming out to say that um, apart from Victoria, the rest of Australia is recovering nicely. And so we're encouraging businesses to look for budget that they would have spent on other things like stationery or you know, or a big Christmas party. party. Or a big Christmas party. In fact, a sales force has been doing this for three years with us where they have team members all around the place who often can't travel to an event and they've been giving them ribble and vouchers. So it's a, re- it's a really great way for businesses and, and that's actually how we grew the business. Yeah. So, Naomi, sorry, can I just step back a little bit? Mm-hmm. When you say you got, you know, Xerox and then you got Optus and then American Express, just take me through a little bit more about what they went to you for. Was it just vouchers? Was it to do team building for their teams? Was it to reward their customers or their internal employees? Yeah, in fact, I often jest, you know, with the, I think we have 3,000 business customers. I often reflect that there's 3,000 ways to use a Red Balloon voucher. Right. So it goes back to that initial thing when I launched was it took a while to understand yes. what is the job I'm being hired to do here. And, you know, we just had this great range of experiences, but we could have slipped into the travel industry. So, in other words, speaking in the first person, Helen, what are you doing this weekend? Why don't you get out and do something? A chocolate walking tour, I'm thinking, Helen. Yes. Mm, Oh, sounds good. good. (laughs) And so, you know, we're speaking in the first person and we do know that about a third of our customers will call it self-gifting. But, you know, there's like, you know, grab some friends Let's have a little splurge this weekend. And we're seeing a big uplift right now in, in that kind of self-gifting and family treats, a little family or friends luxury. In fact, we're in growth, which is an incredible story in itself. So way back, I had to make that decision. What is the job I'm being hired to do? I didn't think about it in that language, but I thought that gifting was different than all of the other kind of agents mm who were selling activities that you could buy over the counter down at, you know, Circular Quay or at the airports and so forth. Whereas packaging it with for gifting represented incremental sales for our supply community. And because that's business that they wouldn't otherwise know how to reach, we represent growth for them. And that's why they're our experienced partners because it is a true partnership. And, you know, they get the payment 
before the experience. My job is to make sure that these 2,000 small businesses are financially not just viable but thriving because when they thrive, they grow, they invest in their people. As a result of our work, I've created more than 50,000 jobs. And people just don't really understand the economic flow on effect of the work that we're doing. And that's one of the messages we're taking to business. I'll give you an exact example. So Balloon Aloft started with me in 2002. They're one of the original suppliers way back when. Mm -hmm. And he had one balloon and 900 passengers. Last year, he had 19 balloons and 23,000 passengers. Mm. So that we have grown together. And he says, look, Naomi, they spend a hundred bucks with you. Then they come to me and they buy another ticket or a kid's ticket. They buy the souvenir, you know, the add-ons and this, that, and the other thing. He said, so 100 bucks with you turns into $300 for me. Right. And he said, everybody has transport, accommodation. They always go to a winery. There's always a dinner out. He said it represents at least $700 to the local community here in Hunter. So $100 of what we do ends up as $1,000 into community, which is where the jobs are getting created. And I'm talking only about direct jobs with our supply community of 2,000 suppliers, which is about 6,000 experiences, versus actually then the on-flowing effect of having that money into community. And the tourism body says that it represents basically double the amount once it goes into community. So for every dollar that's spent in tourism, another dollar gets created an economic impact. Yeah, no, look, it is extraordinary and you really developed that. But just staying with those early 2000s, you started (laughs) it from home, did you? Well, you had two small kids. What made you think you could earn a living doing that? I mean, why not stay working for the big corporates? The thing is, it, it was a different time. There was, email was in its infancy. My kids were born in 96 and 98. And, you know, working from home was just really not an option yeah. because it was so hard. We didn't have the systems. There's no such thing as social media. There was no such thing as digital photography. Buying online was unusual. In fact, people used to fax in an order mm. and we'd have to, pro- we'd send checks with, we'd get checks. I remember. So hence my question, hence my question, what makes you think you could earn a living doing that? I don't know if I thought I could earn a living, but I trusted, I really trusted my marketing skills. Mm. And I remember, you know, some of the clients, and so funny, and I can talk about them now, but there was this really small startup called Skins, and I did their marketing plan, and I designed their logo, and did a whole bunch of work, and it was about $1,500 or $1,800 to do this marketing review their plan and to redesign their logos and all sorts of other things. And he said, oh, I thought that was a pitch and he refused to pay. Oh. And I was just, he said, oh, I thought you were just telling me what you were going to do. That's your pitch. And I was like, are you joking? And it was basically the last client I ever took. So I was like, there has, you know, Uh, to give my heart and soul. And then look what happened to Skins. They became a household name, a household brand. And I was never paid, oh. never paid. And, you know, if there's no, and I, this is the first time I've ever told that story. Yeah, actually. That, that's a big lesson. And I'm I sure know. that left a very bitter taste in your mouth. Well, it ended up being sold to private equity, to private equity. And I understand that they actually went out of business because other people have done, you know, the similar sort of tights and things. But 
I said there has to be another way. Mm. So when people are starting a business, they have to look how the money flows. And I would have to put enough detail into a quote to win the work. Yes. And then I would do that. And then the first stage was always the research, the workshops, the understanding, and then writing the marketing plan. And that was always the first deliverable, you know, let's scope it out, let's talk to people. Some clients had me flying all around the country, interviewing people and so forth. And these were material pieces of work. And he wasn't the only one, like so many people in business understand, and I'm glad the ombudsman takes this up. They understand they do the work and then big corporations just pay them when they feel like it. And it's just devastating. And there's a real focus on that because the stress that it causes in households. So part of the thing of creating was also about, well, people buy the vouchers and that's why I pay my suppliers before the activity. I never want anybody to be out of pocket. It's how our system works. You just pay. But I've said this before and and then people send me bloody invoices that I never did. So, (laughs) you know, I'm like, no, I don't mean that. You pay for service, you have an engagement process. Yes. You scope it out. But that quote and hope game is just for the birds. Red Balloon is now part of the Big Red Group, which you co-founded in 2017 with David Anderson, who's the CEO. What is Big Red Group? Yeah, so it's a bit of a it's a bit of a story. So I started the business at Red Balloon. I was the sole director. I began to get some really good success about fifteen months in. My husband, who was working elsewhere, he was you know accountant and. Anyway, he decided to join the business and that was all fine. And he was taking care of the finance. And I see this a lot. This is important to this story, Mm. you know. But I see this a lot of people founding a business, male and female, but a lot of women who they start the business and the first person they turn to when they start to get a little success is often their husband. It may or may not be the best thing for their family or their relationship. And I saw that a lot in Shark Tank, like so much. And if a husband is joining a business and wants to be paid the same as his corporate job and not necessarily doing the right thing. So after 10 years, we were growing apart. I got an email one day. I can't believe I'm telling you all these secrets. I got an email one day and I've always been the CEO and he was calling himself the executive chairman, which kind of made him my boss. This is your husband? Yeah, this is my husband. And I was like, "Mm, pretty sure that's not the thing. Because no. (laughs) Of course I am. You just go out there and do your thing and build the brand and whatever. No, no, no. I was like, so um, our marriage came to an end, which is always sad. We were growing apart. We're growing in different. And the separation was okay, but we both agreed to no longer have executive roles in the business and to hand it to a professional team, you know, professional managers. So I went on the board and it was probably the most excruciating. This is still red balloon. This is just for a balloon. Yeah, yeah, In yeah. 2011, we separated. Sorry, what was excruciating? We were sitting on the board and watching what was going oh, on in the business. Yeah. And so I was trying to buy the business from him and he just refused to sell it to me. He goes, nah. And it was a really lovely business, like, you know, producing dividends and all the rest. Why would he? He didn't have to do anything and got cash. So, and we're sitting on the board and, you know, we got somebody from – tourism to come in and run it and they decided to pivot and 
I was like, this doesn't make any sense. And they kept doing things that just didn't make any sense because I knew what I knew. Mm. Then they decided to close down the business part, which had been the how we grew the business. And then they weren't making losses and they're not, they were go, they forecast a loss. And then the operating expenses were going up, like the employee costs by wow. a third. I go, this is ridiculous. And I kept saying these things. And in the board meeting, the chairman would say things like, well, you know, if you're going to have a professional management team, things are going to change. I was like, no, mm. not this much. And my personal reputation was so associated yeah. with the business. Anyway, David Anderson, long-term friend, he had started a very successful retail franchise in Australia, took it back to Europe, did a big private equity deal, exited the business, came back to Australia and was kind of just hanging around, kind of looking for a gig. But in his early 40s, we'd been, we, we are still such great friends. And he said, you know, if I do something now, it's got to be for the legacy. It's got to be for the contribution. It's got to be really worthwhile, something that my kids will be proud that I contributed to. And he says, Australian small business is that. And this experience space of connecting people and building the stories, he goes, I'm really interested. And I said, well, just so you know, I'm being bullied in the boardroom and I'm having a hell of a time. And you know, Helen, because we sit on a board together, I'm yes. quiet and coming forward. So anyway, he went into it was the best thing I ever did, and I'm getting to the story. Long story, <laughs> That's uh, great story. Uh, yeah, but best thing I ever did was under the shareholders' agreement, I could put an alternate onto the board, and I chose him, which was fantastic because after that first board meeting, he came out and he said, "Oh my goodness, Naomi, I can't believe how they speak about you. I honestly cannot believe it." And he said, "This is such a good business." He said, egos got involved here. and Sorry, um, how were they speaking about you? Well, he didn't Derogatorily? It. Oh. I suspect so. Oh. I do know for sure they thought I was an emotional founder. Oh, stop And it. I would say, of course I'm an emotional founder. <laughs> You're ruining my business. <laughs> so I acknowledge that maybe it was factual, so it was all fine. <laughs> but David and I then thought about creating the Big Red Group and it was to get, he really challenged me, my vision and said it's much bigger than just gifting. Mm. And he said it's about finding different audiences for the same supply partners, experience partners. And we, first of all, first year in was just about, so we created the Big Red Group. With in a thesis 2017? We, in 2017 with a thesis that we could serve experiences to do different jobs for people if I come back to that language. So so we set about cleaning up the systems, uh, particularly systems and processes, and really reinvesting back into the Red Balloon brand and creating that brand essence, bringing the B2B back into the business, which included, as you know, I'm working in that area now. And then we started acquiring other marketplaces that have experiences but serving different audiences. So we acquired Adrenaline, which is Adventures Await brand, and then we acquired Lime and Tonic just before 
COVID, which is a gourmet oh, and spa brand. Yeah. So that's the, the thesis and we will be able to roll this thesis, these platforms and this marketing engine that we now have into new audiences for both new supply partners and the existing ones. Yeah. So just briefly on that, you, you do now sell products too. I mean, you, you perhaps didn't at, at one point, but you, you sell under gifts and, you know, homewares and hampers, cutlery, binoculars, towels I've seen on your website. So are you a marketplace or do you actually buy and own that stock and then resell it? No, we partner with some of Australia's really great hamper right. or people to do that. So one of the reasons why we have those, which is a bit odd, but we don't want anybody to say, I can't use my voucher. There's right. nothing there for me. Yeah. So we always have to have things, you know, and it's supposed to be slightly experiential, so a whiskey tasting. And then with COVID, we went back to our supply partners and invented a whole range of at-home experiences. And so that might be an olive oil tasting yeah. or a gin tasting and you go online and that's represented amazing growth for some of our experience suppliers. So I'll tell you the story about Tiny Bear. He's a gin distillery in Victoria. He did do the whole sanitizer thing, but actually it's not as easy as people say because you've still got to get it to market and distribute it and they're high, it's highly flammable. So it's a whole process. But we had these kind of gin tastings that he'd host once a week, have about eight customers a week. And then with this, he realized that, and we work with him to send the gin samplers out and then people could dial in. And he started sending these all around Australia. So instead of being limited by the location of eight mm. customers, in the first month, there was 400 customers of those gin tastings. And he said, I have to employ somebody to do, to help me run this now. So what he'd do like as a sort of a Zoom event, but people yes, would have been posted or, or mailed their little gin bottle. Yes. And Fantastic. I sent it to my parents who were in lockdown in Victoria. They said it was fabulous, you yeah. know, because they're just the gin and tonic sort of things. So they said, no, this is other ways of drinking it. This is other ways you could do it. These are the notes and flavors and botanicals you're looking at. And they said it was fabulous. And, you know, I thought my parents knew everything. You know, so this is our job. And you see how we create employment. So that growth and, but he didn't have the marketing engine or the base of his own because he has his customers. And then to try and buy customers online without the authority of the brand and the trust, it's really difficult. Yeah. So he's very happy and on it goes. And we've done that with all sorts of experiences. So that hamper range is, or at home range, and this summer for our corporate clients, we've got, for instance, a paella, you know, kit. And in it, we're putting an experience voucher for a Spanish cooking class. Fabulous. And our vouchers are valued for five years. So, but you kind of get the both of the hybrid and for a lot of businesses and, and people who, you know, people might be in lockdown, out lockdown, you know, it's all too hard to stay up with. But you got something for now and you got something to look forward to and book in. And we extended every single voucher now that we do is five years. So there's no reason why people can't take their vouchers yeah. and get that money out into community. Fantastic. Fantastic. 
just one little detail that I think I might have missed. When you and David, you put him on the the board, how did you get Red Balloon? Did you have to buy it from your husband? Did you have to buy him out? Helen, that's a very good question. I can't believe I forgot that detail. (laughs) So... A good friend of ours is actually Scott Farquhar, and Scott had actually sat on our board for a little while, but when he did his own IPO, he kind of had to clean up all his other directorships, Mm. so he left the board. We got a new CEO after Scott left because the one went on maternity leave, and that's actually when it all happened. He wasn't particularly – he was a great friend of the firm, always has been a great friend of the firm and continues to be. But Peter knew that I was really close to Scott, And David actually just made the approach to the chairman and to Pete and probably the CEO and said, look, I think I can raise some capital here. And remember, dividends had dried up and we do know that shareholders like dividends. So it it was becoming to beginning to be a different financial proposition Mm. and real capital was going to be needed to do this. To get it back on track. Platform to get it back on track. Yeah. And, and and sorry, so, Peter is your husband and he was also yeah, on the board and, and yes. He was on the board and we were equal shareholders. So it was just not an easy thing. So David approached and said, look, I think I can raise some capital and give you an exit and maybe Naomi an exit too if she wants one because it's going to need some serious capital. And so David, because he's done, I don't know, he's done more. M&A stuff than I've had hot breakfast. He set about talking to a number of people and so forth, but my name never came up. He just said, and maybe I can get one for Naomi too. He didn't say anything else. Mm. And so as it happens, David put together this thesis and went to the Commonwealth Bank, who've been incredibly supportive, and I know they're great supporters of us too at CPA, at Cerebral Palsy Alliance, put together this great thesis and they said, yep, you can borrow the money. So he had the capital that we needed to go and do the work we needed without actually diluting my shareholding. Right. But we also got the capital to be able to take out Pete. It's what, it's what yeah. you call a management buyout. Yeah. And, and was he happy such, with that in the end and that you stayed in? He never knew. He will now. <laughs> no, he obviously knew after a time, but he was happy with his exit. I told exit. him last year. I told him two and a half years after it happened. So he never knew. And he thought that I was just kind of being paid as an ambassador to Red, for Red Balloon, you know, and which was fine. And he didn't know and he didn't need to know. And he was well paid and happy yeah. with his exit. And he's off, he's gone Great. happily. Okay. Yeah, and now we can parent together and everything's fine. Oh, that's but great. I, I actually went to him. Uh, we had breakfast with our daughter for her birthday in Melbourne last year. And I, I just said, oh, by the way, you know, it, it wasn't Scott Farquhar that sat behind that deal. It was actually the Commonwealth Bank. And I did sell my own business to the big red group and I paid the capital gains tax to prove it. So there you go. <laughs> and, and the breakfast went swimmingly after that? And he was a little surprised, but oh, yes, of course, of course, you know. And of course, right. my kids never talk about business or anything with him, so they, and he wouldn't have known. So, yeah. but I thought if I'm going to speak publicly about this, I think it's a really important story to tell because often people only see the good things and they're, oh, that's all been easy. And if they're struggling in their own business or in their own micro business or they don't, you know, it's, it's not been smooth, it's not easy. And being an entrepreneur, this life is not for everyone. 
In part two of our chat next week on Build It, They'll Come, Naomi Simpson talks about that TV show and what she's learned about being positive about the things she can control and then what to do with the rest. That's next week on Build It, They'll Come. I hope you join me. In the meantime, I'd love you to share this episode with your friends and around your social networks. Do subscribe to the podcast and it'd be great if you can give it a star rating and leave us a review as that helps others to find us. You can also follow me on Twitter at Helen underscore Dally, D-A-L-L-E-Y. Thanks for your company. See you soon.